Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I am your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan, and I am joined, as always, by the kid, the god, the legend himself, Celtics beat reporter from The Athletic, and we are coming to you on a Tuesday morning, election day, and the Celtics have played 10 games. They are 7-3, and three. and Jay King, the beat reporter for the Boston Celtics on The Athletic, has written 10 significant takeaways from the team's start, so I figured we could go through them. Jay, what is takeaway number one? Oh, you're asking me? You're supposed to be the host, I thought. You're supposed to be the one with the plan. But takeaway number one is that the Celtics offense has been ridiculous. That's it? (laughs) No, it is. It has been absolutely insane. There are so many different stats about their points per possession in the half court, their just offensive rating in general. They really seems like they've discovered something special with this bench lineup, including Grant Williams, Malcolm Brogdon, Hauser, and a big man of your choice. We saw it on display both in New York and in that uh, game against the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies, where they went on the 20-point run, which was wildly impressive uh and then the Knicks game where they hit uh, a record amount of threes just the spacing involved in that lineup uh and just the decision making of Malcolm Brogdon and Jason Tatum at that point it, that lineup is very very dangerous especially when the Celtics are making threes it's just they can put on points so quickly yeah and what's what's i think most impressive to me is they are they have the best half-court offense by five points per play. Five points per 100 plays, which is the same gap as the second-best offense to the 10th-best offense, which That's is wild. That's crazy. And, and they're doing that without hardly ever rebounding the ball offensively. So it's just basically they're just shooting people's faces off. That is just what they're doing. They are getting a ton of threes. They are making a ton of threes. They have been cutting for open dunks. Jason Tatum seems to do that like three times a game now. They The offense has just been really, really, really dynamic. Um, and, and the offense was really good at the end of last season. But But this is a whole new level. And especially with the bench unit that you said, we can talk about that later, but it's just been 
I mean, this is the best offense by far that I have covered, I think. Um, the other previous contenders were probably like that one Isaiah year when they just ran everything through Isaiah and he was ridiculous. And the end of last year, and then the, the Gordon Hayward, the good Gordon Hayward year, those are like the only other almost contenders but this 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 offense has just blown that away and and to do it in the half court is really important because that's what playoff basketball is like if you can execute in the half court if you can consistently beat teams and produce great shots in the half court then you're gonna have a great chance to score when it matters most and and that's what the Celtics have done so far it has been Pretty, 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 yeah. pretty Just the, the ball movement, the commitment to getting paint touches, drive and kick. Uh, I think it was all on display over these last two games, and it's been mighty, mighty impressive. This team's going to win a lot of shootouts, uh, and certainly when Robert Williams gets back, it's going to be uh, interesting to see if they can kind of bring it all together, the offense and the defense. But I'm sure we'll we'll talk about that later on. And it'll also be interesting to see whether they go big, like far more often. Like they stayed big most of the time last year, but now they just have so many small lineups they can throw out there and just mow you down with offense. What is the number two takeaway from the first 10 games? I don't know, man. I don't have this pulled up. I didn't know we were going to be doing this. So you wrote the article. You, yeah. I just wrote the damn you thing. You couldn't pull up the article in time? I I didn't want to read it. No, I don't want to have I, like my takes colored by, you know, I didn't want to just repair it back to you, what you were reading to me. But I guess I'll pull up pull up the takeaway so you can remember it. No, no. I, I will pull I will pull it up so that so that the host who's supposed to be prepared in this stuff. Oh, sorry um, that you wrote something and then completely forgot about it. I'm just like, you know, have law school and stuff to deal with. Sorry I didn't completely prepare for uh, this podcast. This is not the most important takeaway, but it was kind of one of the unresolved pieces of the rotation earlier in the season. And it took a while, but Luke Cornett has separated himself from the other bigs. He absolutely has. Yeah, he's just he much just better than Noah Vonley at this point. Uh, and Blake Griffin is uh, great for vibes, but is entirely washed. Uh, and then, of course, once Luke Cornett separates himself, he is away from the team for personal reasons and misses the last two games. So we do get a little bit more uh, Vonley. Uh, we got a Blake Griffin start the other day. Um, but I think Cornett just gives you a little bit more defensively and he's got some of the softest hands, can do some stuff offensively, uh, and is just much more reliable than uh, Noah Vonley at this point, who I think is averaging 19 fouls per 100 possessions or something ridiculous. What was uh, You tweeted out the stat last night, but... It was 7.7 it was fouls per 36 minutes entering last night's game, so I don't know what the numbers are now, but I do know he's fouling like a maniac. And it's moving screens. It's fouls on the glass. It's just... And honestly, when you foul that much, it actually hurts your team. <laughs> like, some foul, some fouls are expected, 
But when you're piling up like foul after foul after foul and putting your team in the bonus, and it's not great. It's not great. He fouls enough that it's like noticeably hurtful. Hey, so, you can't rely on him to set a basic screen. It, it does feel like it hurts the offense and the confidence of the players around him. And it feels like every time he checks into the game, it's like within the first two minutes, he's going to get called for a moving screen. So... Cornette and Vonley have one of them has basically been the primary backup big most nights, and neither of them has scored more than seven points in a single game. Is yeah. that alarming to you, or does it matter at all? I don't think it matters that like their role in those lineups is not to score, right? Like if we talk about the the magical lineup, you, you, we we mentioned four guys, not five. Uh, when Grant, Malcolm Brogdon, Hauser, and Tatum are on the court, the role of that big man is to set the screen in the high pick and roll and then just roll and, you know what, the guy's either going to get to the basket or he's going to find shooters. I don't think that person necessarily needs to be getting buckets. It does hurt my prediction of Luke Cornett getting two double-doubles by Christmas. I don't know if that's going to happen, but I just don't. I'm not as concerned with them not scoring just because I feel like the offense is so finely tuned at this point and they have so many other players, um, smaller players from the guard and wing position that it's just like, I don't, the fact that Luke Cornett's only scored six points is not a, not the biggest deal in the world. Yeah, I think, I think it will matter. Like if they have to play those guys in the playoffs, it will matter. When teams can scheme and figure out ways to, punish them for for having guys who can't or won't score in the game but at the moment the Celtics offense is thriving because the right guys are making the plays and that's Jason Tatum that's Jalen Brown that's Malcolm Brogdon whenever he's in the game they are really tilted toward the players that are most efficient. And then the with the three-point shooters like Hauser, like Grant Williams, also getting opportunities to spot up. So their offense is really humming. It hasn't mattered that their backup bigs haven't tried to score ever. Um, but like I said, if, if, if those guys have to play in the playoffs, like I think that's going to become – a much much bigger issue and they if if the Celtics are healthy they won't have to play in the playoffs yeah that's what I was going to say is ideally you're not relying on either of them to step up because Rob Williams is back and they just have a much more reduced role oh number three number three let's let's combine three and four because they're both about uh Joey Maz does Joey Maz have a nickname yet have people started calling him Joey Maz can I call him Joey Maz Go ahead and call him Joey Maz. Yeah, man. it feels a little trite. Who, who um, am I to stop you? Yeah, you've stopped me before when I've said dumb stuff. It hasn't. It hasn't stopped me, but you've tried to stop me. He's a Mazhole. Yeah, yeah, that that could work. I don't know. He. I don't know if he has that enough personality bad. to to you become gave that a Mazhole. Way too much credit. Yeah, I'm feeling good today. Uh, but what are three and four? They're both about Joe Missoula and him adjusting uh, to the new life as head coach of the Boston Celtics. Number three, Missoula's interview demeanor, far more like Brad Stevens than Ime Udoka. Just, Ime was so open. Ime was 
wildly open in interviews to the point where just people in other front offices would text me being like, what the fuck is this guy doing? <laughs> <laughs> and and now Joe Mazzulla is, he's kind of like Brad. He's a robot. He's not going to say anything. He's not really going to expand on his answers. He's going to be pleasant and nice and friendly and tell you nothing. Maybe Absolutely maybe a nothing. small joke here or there. Like when the this team's defense improves a little bit, he's going to be like, well, I noticed no one asked me about the defense. A little bit of sarcasm with Joey Maz, but not not uh, not ha-ha funny. Not, not a lot of personality there. Yeah. So um, he's very Brad. Very Brad. Like super even keeled. He really does remind me of Brad in a lot of ways. And players say he holds him accountable behind the scenes. But he will never be like Ime. He'll never be throwing guys under the bus. He'll never be going out and explaining how a guy screwed up. That just will not be Joe Mazzullo's leadership style. So, which is fine. Like, I don't think it really matters. I don't think that was what separated Ime as a coach. Um, it was just one of the signs of like the the level of accountability that he brought last year and the demanding nature that he brought to the players. And the players wanted that last year. I don't know if they need it as much now because some of the habits are already in them. Um, and I think they can kind of police themselves a little better now. And then also, we have no idea what Missoula is like behind closed doors, but players do say he does a good job of holding them accountable. So I'm not sure this one matters, but it's just interesting <laughs> that 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 Brad Stevens went back to another Brad Stevens type of guy. I like that number three on your 10 significant takeaways you've already dismissed as not mattering. <laughs> What about number four? Number four seems to matter more. And it's talking about his more of his on on court approach uh, to coaching. Yeah. So Missoula was asked what his biggest lesson from the early stages of the regular season has been. And classic Joe Missoula style, he didn't really spe- specify what it was. Just said, just being patient. Um, understand it's not going to be perfect. You want to give the guys the opportunity to play and at the same time find the areas where you can help make an impact. So just being patient through those moments and then just trying to learn something every game that you can apply to the next game. Uh, I included that just because that, that was his thoughts and he believes being patient is is his biggest lesson so far. Isn't that just um, Brad Stevens though? Can't get too high, can't get too low. Just have to keep working Kaizen, incremental improvement, growth mindset. He's just a Kaizen disciple, uh, it feels like. He's simply Brad Stevens. That's it. He's a gum-chewing Brad Stevens, like a a violent gum-chewing Brad Stevens. Only uh, Abby Chin reported this during the Knicks game. Only two slices for the whole game. I think he does one in the first half and then doesn't dispose of that one, just adds a second for this uh the second half, I feels like that gum's got to lose its flavor probably by like the four minute mark. Like I that 
And that's wild. That, but you the need jaw some... is probably hurting. I oh mean... yeah, his teeth gotta have to be terrible, or his gums, or I, something's just gotta be wrong there. But uh, you know, the Celtics are seven and three. You can't really complain it. But maybe get uh, some variety in there. Maybe some bubblicious. I want to see Joey Maz blowing some bubbles on the sideline. Although probably um, some people might get upset by that and saying he's not taking his job very seriously. We're back to an important takeaway with number five. <laughs> I'm glad you steered us back. On the, see, you, the can, more, you can be a host this, too. This is a more significant, significant takeaway. Uh, Missoula has let Malcolm Brogdon be Malcolm Brogdon. And we've talked about it a lot on the podcast. But the way they were going to incorporate him was probably the most challenging part or like the the most important basketball part of what the Celtics coaching staff was going to do over the offseason. Figure out a way to bring in Malcolm Brogdon, who was a starter elsewhere, who was a lead playmaker elsewhere, and learn how to bring him into a much more talented group than he played with in Indiana and bring him off the bench in a role that he hasn't been used to. And the Celtics have figured that out just by letting him be Indiana Malcolm Brogdon. They're, they're not, they're, it's more. They're like, you need to be more than Indiana Malcolm Brogdon because he has a higher usage rate. It's like, when you are in the game, Malcolm Brogdon, you are the point guard. You will be doing everything. I thought the stat you used, he's leading the team in drives per game, 12.3. Like, that's not a, if you're just going based on eye test alone, it's not at all a surprising statistic. When he's in the game, he is trying his damnedest to get to the basket and just make things happen. And if there's not a big in there, it seems like he's really trying to score. And if there is, there really feels like he's driving kick. But it's, it's Malcolm's show when he's in the game. And I think that's like one of the big reasons why the Celtics, like that bench lineup has been uh, unlocked. And it's just, they, I feel like they're going to have such an opportunity just to kill the bench units of other teams. And I think a lot of it has to do with Malcolm Brogdon. And if he's making shots, if he's knocking down threes, it makes such a huge difference uh, just with how the other defenses have to guard him. And I think we saw a little bit of that. And like the Celtics went on that crazy 20 point run in the second quarter. And that involved, I think, multiple Malcolm Brogdon threes. And then his threes kind of uh, stopped falling in the second half, and that bench unit was a little bit less effective. Um, but if if he's in the game and is able to knock down shots, it's like I think he's going to be able to knock down, like get to the rim pretty easily and, and get layups as much as he uh, wants because that just seems to be part of his game. But his like ceiling is whether or not his outside shots are falling. And when they are, it just feels like the Celtics' offense is unstoppable. Yeah, he has just been relentless getting to the paint. And, like, okay, so he's played fewer than 25 minutes per game. And these are players that he has more drives per game than. DeJounte Murray, Jalen Brown, DeMar DeRozan, Kyrie Irving, Fred Van Vliet, Paul George, Zion Williamson, Kevin Durant, like these are guys who not only play a ton of minutes, but have huge roles and are pretty good at getting to the paint. And Malcolm Brogdon has more drives in about twenty four minutes per game than any of those guys. It's 
he's just been relentless. He's just been relentless. The only other person averaging fewer than 30 minutes ahead of Brogdon is in the drives per game category is Russell Westbrook. And and he plays about six more minutes per game than Westbrook than Brogdon rather and averages one more drive per game. So they just let Brogdon be Brogdon. Yeah, and he's and on the a offense mission. and the offense is like severely tilted toward Tatum, Brown, and Brogdon, with Marcus Smart also serving as like a playmaker, assist guy. Um but but from a usage rate standpoint, from shots standpoint, from the balls in their hands standpoint, like it's Tatum Brown, and then when Brogdon's on the court, Brogdon. I still think though they have to figure out how to play with Brogdon and the best players on the team. Like he he has been dusting people with that second unit, just really getting in the paint, creating a lot, uh, causing leading to a, a whole bunch of big runs. But when he's shared the court with Tatum, Brown, and Smart, the offense especially has not been good. So that's something they got to figure out. Like you can't have the ball in your hands all the time. Sometimes you're going to have to be a, a lesser player. And I think that's part of the reason probably why they closed with Grant Williams um, during the the game in Memphis, not that it went particularly well, they didn't score for like 19 minutes straight. It was actually three minutes, I think. But but like the the Brogdon thing hasn't hasn't gone great with the closing lineup, and that's the only time it hasn't worked to a great extent. Yeah, and it's it's, it's a difficult kind of equation to try and figure out because he's been so ball dominant and so like such a force when he's in the bench lineups and it's like that is seems like one of the better ways to ease him in but they do you do feel like you want to be comfortable closing with presumably I would put him in your five best players on the court right now um, if we're just not counting when Rob's not here and so uh, you do want to figure that out but you also like he's been so good when you've given him and put the ball in his hands uh, you don't necessarily like want to go away from that like I wouldn't move to starting Malcolm Brogdon at this point because I just feel like there's such an advantage in bringing him off the bench but that's definitely something to monitor moving forward as uh, you try to figure out um, what the best closing lineup is like i like lot like logically I would think you would want him on the court just because uh, he provides so much spacing and playmaking but you're right this season is just like the the three kind of stars and then Brogdon and a big has not really been like the, the successful lineup you think it would be. It's looked better with Derek white. Um, there you go again, team Derek white versus team Malcolm Brogdon. I'm, I'm just saying, no, I'm just saying Brogdon needs to learn how to play with those guys. They need to learn how to play with Brogdon. That's like the next step. Um, in in this partnership but for now it's just like let brogdon cook whenever he's on the court and that seems like a pretty good idea number six pretty good idea number six let me scroll down a little the bit stars are playing big minutes oh yeah Mus- like brad stevens let it be known after the finals he thought the 
best players, especially Tatum and Brown, played too many minutes during the run to the finals. Obviously, you're going to play big minutes in the finals. Every star does. Um, but before that, you know, because they were digging out of 11th place in January because they needed every win they could get because they played tight playoff series. Like those guys just played a ton of minutes and it mattered. There was a cumulative effect. By the time they got to the finals, they were gassed. They set out to cut down minutes for their main guys. They have not done that at all. (laughs) Not even close. Tatum, before Monday's game against the Grizzlies, Tatum was fourth in minutes per game. Jalen Brown was sixth. Smart, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, they're all on pace to set career highs in minutes. Al Horford is playing more minutes than he played eight years ago. He's also gotten a couple of rest games on second leg of back-to-backs, but still. And part of that is Robert Williams is out. Part of that is they have played some close games, haven't really had as many blowouts as they did last year. But if one of the organizational goals was to cut down minutes, and it was, then they've failed so far in that. And and not only have they failed, but they're going the other way with it. That's I mean, not great. It's not great, but they're seven and three, and I, I like winning basketball games. Feels like the more important part of the equation now than resting guys. And I think we saw it in that Grizzlies game. They took Smart and Tatum off the court there in that third quarter, I think, and they just stopped scoring for four minutes. And it's like, okay, let's get the good players back in the game. Um, like, I think it's. It's interesting because they the Celtics have had they're seven and three. Two of those three losses came in overtime, but you're right, they haven't had many blowouts where there's like a real opportunity to rest these guys. And so they have these opportunities to where the bench goes on these crazy runs or they do have crazy runs, but they haven't like put teams away. And the games have been much closer late than that's just not allowing for um resting players. Maybe it's something we'll see Wednesday night against the Pistons that they'll be able to do it, but they it's they're certainly scoring amount of points, but the defense just hasn't been there to kind of allow the the blowout. So I don't I don't know exactly what the answer is, except for beat teams by more. Um, but I think if they were able to do that, they would have been doing that already. So it's just something interesting to to keep note of uh, while they kind of kind of continue in the next ten games of the season. We've already talked yeah, about and, number. Oh, go ahead. And and one of the things Brad said, like one of the ways that he thought they would limit minutes is getting off to a good start and not falling into 11th place in January (laughs) and instead being one of the best teams in the conference all the way through. Then you get more opportunities to rest guys strategically later on. Um, So maybe that will happen. Maybe once Robert Williams gets back, they'll do more to rest Horford. Maybe they'll play, you know, bigger lineups with other guards like Brogdon, White, um, Peyton Pritchard even and Hauser and and just go away from the huge minutes on Tatum and Brown so far. But I do think like that's it's a concern that those guys are are playing as much as they have so far. And not a concern that matters today. Like it won't impact them right now, but if you're trying to limit the wear and tear to put together another 
deep finals run and this time be fresh enough to play your best once you get there then it's it's not great that they've had to load those guys up with playing time so far all right, number seven, we've already kind of talked about, so I'll, I'll we, we can still talk about it. But the I'm gonna, Legion of Boom. This is what I was going to say. You're trying, you're trying to put in a new nickname in here. You're, you are the only one I've seen call them the Legion of Boom. Yeah, uh, you know why? Because I created it. Actually, I didn't create it. The <laughs> Seattle Seahawks created it, but, but I, I adopted it. Well, you have to explain that uh, it's because Sam Hauser hit a three on. Saturday night against the Knicks and said, boom, motherfucker. And Jason Tatum laughed in his face. Uh, Tatum loved it. Tatum (laughs) loved that so much. He was like dying laughing in the locker room about that. He said he almost just doubled over in laughter on the court and would have if they weren't playing an NBA regular season game. So boom, motherfucker was, was where the Legion of boom came from. I, I know the Seahawks were called that before, but that was a while ago, and and Boom fits. So I think Legion of Boom isn't bad. I'm not going to be cocky enough to say it should stick or will stick, but I'm just saying it's pretty good. And if that group does continue to play like this with 138 points per 100 possessions offensive rating, then Legion of Boom could be here to stay. I think as someone who's tried to force a nickname in a situation, the key right now is to just keep getting shots up. You got to keep calling them the Legion of Boom when they check in. Eventually, people will tell you if they like it or not. It'll catch on. You'll see other people using it or it won't. But you're doing it You're doing it correctly right now. Uh, just a casual reference to it. Like That was what I liked about this reading it right now is that you just... You didn't explain the like the Legion of Boom and the reference. You just threw it in there and acted like all of the readers should know exactly what you're talking about. You're acting like it's already arrived, and I think that's uh, perfect. Perfect for uh, trying to put a new nickname on something related to the Boston Celtics. Well done. Yeah, and that group really has been ridiculous. And Missoula knows it. And Missoula understands that that's something I can get to every second quarter and the last three games, all of which the Celtics have won, they've gone on a huge run with that group in the second quarter. So Brogdon, Hauser, Williams, Tatum is just they 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 dice people up, they rip them apart. Now, is there is a chance that they don't they officially shit down their throats? Be okay. Well, that's aggressive. <laughs> uh, they don't officially become the Legion of Boom until Rob Williams comes back and like completes Boom his... Shakalaka. Now there's there's something I could get behind because just imagine all of that lineup, but with the vertical spacing uh, and the lob threat that is Rob Williams on the roll there and his passing. Uh, I just think it has it, it has a potential to go from you know something. Well, I was going to say something special to something even more special, but that was just poor use of language. But it has the potential to be better is all I'm trying to say. Uh, but we'll see. Rob Williams did travel with the team this weekend, apparently doing stuff. This was not a significant note. This is the Jam Packard addendum. Um, apparently doing stuff on the court. May make it back sometime in December, uh, but that is uh, definitely something to keep 
keep your eye on if you're a Celtics fan is I don't know why he decided just to travel with the team to New York. I don't know why that was a, a significant thing. Like he took the short plane ride or whatever the train ride they took, but he was there and that's a, a sign of him, him coming back uh, to play basketball shortly. Number eight this is true is a weird one. He's also came back like just, just cussing and swearing and doing all Rob Williams things. Oh, well that's fantastic. When he was asked about the Luke Cornett contest, he said, that shit works. That <laughs> shit works. And then, when he, <laughs> while he was giving his interview, uh, he said that the Celtics need him just like he needs the Celtics. And Marcus Smart called out over that nobody needs Rob. And after Rob finished his interview, he stood up and said, fuck you, Smart. <laughs> <laughs> so he came back and it was just instant Rob Williams vibes. Now, see, I think that should have made the top 10, Jay. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, this is these are the the honorable mentions that that you get to to listen to when when you listen to the podcast. All right, there you um, go. Saving it for the the potable listeners. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Uh, number eight, the Did Celtics not. starters have not been great together. Just interesting stats here. Uh, just looking at their, their rating when, um, they're the, the whole team's a negative 4.4 with smart on the court, negative 3.4 with Horford on the court and negative 1.2 with Jalen Brown on the court. That's just not what you would necessarily expect from a seven and three basketball team. It's just weird. And last year with those guys on the court, by the end of the season, they were just dusting teams. Uh, and I think like a lot of it has been the defense. The defense has just not been the same. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of perplexing. Um, they haven't really found the the same synergy with that group, with the smaller lineups, with some of the defensive changes that they've had to do because Rob Williams isn't there, with, you know, I, I guess everything else going on. That was good analysis there. Um, 
But this is a team right now that is winning with offense and winning with depth more than anything else. And eventually they're going to need Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, and Al Horford to thrive together when they're on the court together. So, and, and, and you can look at that as a concern. Like their their best players have not played well together. What's going on there? Why? I'm doing like the windhorsed fingers right now. <laughs> but also you can look at that as a positive in like a weird way that they're seven and three. They have a totally fine net rating of four point three. They have the best offense in the league and they still have been held back by the guys who should be great together. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's it's probably more of a positive than anything. There's a lot of upward potential in with the Celtics, like most used groups. I I think it's it's. Yeah, they've they're still seven and three, and they're still winning. And I feel like there's you have to have faith in the group that like kind of brought the team to the finals last year to eventually to figure it out. Um, I I uh, actually we gotta we gotta wrap this up soon because I actually have to get to class. So I'm gonna go number ten quickly. The rebounding is actually hasn't been that bad. They ranked tenth in defensive rebound rate through the first ten games, and so. I think there's a lot of times where they, they think the Celtics are giving up too many offensive rebounds and then they're uh, giving up threes. We saw that a couple of times in the Grizzlies game and we saw that a lot against the loss to the Bulls. But as you said, it's not a big issue. But I think the reason why the Celtics have been so good this season in 7-3 and three and why you can kind of explain the net rating is that Jason Tatum's a problem. Jason Tatum is a beast. Jason Tatum has had just a wildly outrageous first 10 games. And he's been just MVP level. Can I, I don't know if he's going to be the MVP, but he has to be in the conversation because he's just been dominant in these first 10 games on offense. He's, I feel like he's gotten better shots. He's getting to the line more. He's finishing around the rim better. On defense, he feels like he's much more of an impactful player. And just everything he's done uh, has been phenomenal. And as you say, he has evolved. He has taken another step in his game. And he is the main reason why the Celtics are playing so well right now. Yeah, he he has been... I mean, he's just changed. He's grown. He's evolved. He He's shooting close to 80% at the rim, which is totally new for him. Like he's he was never a guy who scored that efficiently before at the rim, earning a ton of free throws, and we've talked about it on the pod a bunch of times before, and we've talked about it for for years that the most important next step for him was learning how to create the easy points, and and to find ways in the half court, in the full court, to free himself for the layups and the more open threes and the shots that aren't just like pound the ball into the court and fade away and try to shoot a contested jumper over a really good defender. 
and he's done that and and it's it's really impressive how quickly he went from like stagnant scorer to oh wow he's make like literally he scores like three dunks or layups off cuts per game it feels like every single game he's getting six automatic points just by cutting to the rim when Marcus Smart or somebody goes goes to the the hoop and like that's just different it's it's a totally new level for him where where he doesn't need to make all the tough shots to have a great night and and we saw that in Memphis like he didn't shoot well he was three for 11 from the three-point arc he I think he was two for six on two-point jumpers and didn't matter 39 points on 12 for 25 shooting like that's just and then the the defense in the big moments has just been impressive like end of regulation against Cavaliers Donovan Mitchell is steaming hot Tatum stays with him switches onto him doesn't lose his body and blocks him uh John Morant in the fourth quarter of last night's game Tatum's on him blocks him like just a really impressive block and who stays with those guys and blocks them nobody he he's just He's at a high level, a really, really high level right now. Yeah, he's been absolutely phenomenal. Uh, I think the defense, an interesting thing from that Memphis game is that he was playing a little bit of that that kind of Rob Williams center field mode. It wasn't for like every possession, but just like uh, kind of being able to, to sag off because he's like, he is the de facto power forward, especially when they play some of those smaller lineups and just, his defensive uh, ability. I thought him, Al Horford, and Grant Williams. You mentioned Grant Williams finishing the game. Uh, Grant did not take any shots uh, until that final free throws at the end of the game. But I thought the three of those guys did a very good job on John Morant, who had torched the Celtics in the third quarter. Uh, There's kind of a scare when John Morant checked back into that game with nine minutes left that the Celtics were going to struggle to contain him. And I thought um, Horford, Grant, and and Jason Tatum just did. Uh, an amazing job, and I don't. It just felt foolish for John Morant to be trying like isolating on Jason Tatum. He has just really stepped his game up defensively, and it just feels like he's doesn't. I wouldn't say like nationally gets credit for being one of the, a, a solid defender, but he's just so long and so. Uh, it just feels like he knows the game at this point, and, and has been um, doing it on both ends of the court. And even as he said on nights where he doesn't have a great shooting performance, he still finished in the high thirties and was super impactful and basically the reason why the Celtics won that game. And so I think the Celtics are going to continue to go as far as Jason Tatum can take them. Uh, and so far, so good for the Celtics. Like again, seven and three, two of those losses are in overtime only. So only one loss in regulation. Uh, they're in pretty, pretty good shape with that. Jason Tatum, you know, the Legion of Boom. Uh, Joey Maz chewing gum. Things are things are pretty good in Celtics land. I, I'm I, I'm second guessing myself. I kind of think I should have gone with Boom Shakalaka. I mean, there's no reason why you can't interchange and do both. Yeah. Well, because nobody's ever been Boom Shakalaka before. That's true, but I feel like you would have to 
you'd have more power to make it be boom shakalaka if you were like Sean Grandy and you could like they hit a big three and then you could go boom shakalaka. But like in print, I don't think it works as much. But we I don't that know. That is true. We'll we'll have to ask the potable listeners out there. Uh if you're listening to this, reply to the the tweets and tell us what you like more, Legion of Boom, Boom Shakalaka. Um and keep listening to anything is potable. Um I don't really have a great end, ending for this, but I have to get to class. So, Jay, what what do you think we should tell the listeners as we end the show? Even fucking law school class is potable. Yes, criminal procedure. We're talking about the right to a jury trial. Thanks, folks. Anything that means is, anything is potable. Anything is potable. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.